You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, Go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during the day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So go out ahead and Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Season wrap-up edition, season wrap-up edition, the season wrap-up edition. Good day, good evening, whatever time of the day it is for you folks out there. What's going on? It's Jason Jones. I'm back with your latest episode of the Ruler of the Court podcast, brought to you by the good people at the Basketball Podcast Network. Here we talk, this is the ruler, like I said, this is the ruler of the court podcast where we talk Sacramento Kings and whatever else comes to my mind. So, season's over. The Kings finished the season at 31 and 41. The exact same record they had last season. And, (laughs) you know, uh, head back to the, you know, the drawing board, so to speak. Getting ready for the offseason to draft the lottery. And for all of you who keep asking me what's going on with the coaching situation, blah, 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 blah. At the time of this recording, Luke Walton is the Kings coach. And 
I've gotten no indication that that's going to change. Generally, when these things happen, you pretty much know before the last game that coach is going to be gone. That's the way it's been around the Kings for the most part. The last decade or so. The, la- the, the one exception where you where that didn't go that way was Michael Malone. But generally, you know going in. And this year, honestly, don't really have a say, a pulse, you know, of what's going on. This is a, you know, a different situation. And mainly it's because the Kings can be so unpredictable. I mean, Vlade Divac got a contract extension in April of 2019 and was fired in August of 2020. I mean, I forgot what I'm about to say. He got fired. He technically resigned. But when someone comes in and tells you you're going to have a new boss and this is the way it's going to be, it pretty much got fired. But, hey, it is what it is. So what I wanted to do today was just kind of do a season in review from a coaching perspective. Just kind of get an idea of where, you know, where I see things have gone and we're just where just where things are right now with the team. So let's dive on into it. Let's go ahead and talk about, you know, this is not going to be a crazy long episode. I used to keep them around 30 minutes or so. This might be a little bit shorter just because uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, the Kings are actually going to have a series of exit interviews. Well, not exit interviews with the, the, well, the players will have exit interviews, but there will also be media time, which is different for the team. Normally, we haven't gotten, I want to say in my 12 years covering the team, we've never had this set up where at the end of the season, we got multiple players to interview. So maybe this is the benefit of the Zoom world of 2021. They can just walk them after their exit interviews, sit them down, let them talk to us, and let them go about their day. So maybe that'll that'll probably be the fuel for future episodes, but for now... We'll talk about coaching and the good, the bad, the ugly. Maybe address some of the things that fans have brought to my attention. Or actually, part of my thing is going to be the lack of things fans have brought to my attention when it comes to coaching this season. In some cases, some of these complaints and things I've heard just prove people really just want to complain and complain because they don't have, they're not rooted in anything other than I don't like the coach. Or he's terrible, but you can't tell me why he's terrible. And the a, a coaching discussion is always very nuanced. It's, it's never just it was the coach. There's always other things tied into it. So if you're going to come in, jump in my mentions, jump in the comments, and tell me Luke Walton is terrible, you got to give me some give me some reason why. And I haven't seen anything other than his rotations. That was the main thing I heard last season, even part of his rotations. And it was kind of a weird thing because people complained that he didn't have a rotation. He got a rotation. They didn't like the rotation. Why? Well, I'll get to this later. But, you know, the one thing they didn't like was Marvin Bagley didn't play in the fourth quarter. But they were trying to win games. But they also, you know, it's it's confusing. Just, oh God. Let me take a sip of my tea. And I assure you that I'm really drinking tea. I'm not drinking anything else strong. You know, because I'm not going to log on to the work Zoom, you know, faded. But, yeah, it's just a, let's look, uh, let's start with this discussion by looking at what I'll call some of the positives 
So, yeah, the, the positives of this season from the coaching perspective. I think, number one, you got to start with, with uh, the, the, two, the two lead guards, the two playmakers, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton. De'Aaron has formed, forged, or whatever you want to call it, a great relationship with Luke Walton and the coaching staff. And for stretches of the season, De'Aaron looked like an all-star. But that was only that was only for stretches. You got to be able to carry that out over an entire season to um, to really be an all-star. Where way I look at it like this: if you're an all-star, you got to be on point. In an, in a say in a fifty game season, seventy two game season, you got to be on point about fifty to fifty five games, where you look like a star. To be like, yeah, that's a star, that's an all star, and I don't know if De'Aaron, this is my my mind, hit that benchmark just yet. He averaged twenty five point two point seven point two assists. Uh, the points are a career high. The assists are just point one a tenth off of his career high average, which was actually his second season. Uh, you know, steals right, you know, 1.5 per game, right about right under his career high with also was uh, in the second season of well, 1.6 rebounds are actually down, you know, for the first time in his last couple of years, uh, down to 3.5, which, uh, is something that I'm you know the coaching staff would like to actually see go up. You want to see him, you know, for, you know, Getting getting the ball off the glass probably a little bit more so he can help force the tempo, increase the pace, play at a faster pace. You know, uh, free throw percentage ended at seventy one point nine, which is his actually his second worst of his career. He's never been better. He's never cracked seventy three percent from the free throw line. His best season was again his second season seventy two point seven percent. You know, but he was also shooting uh, two fewer free throws per game at that point. His uh, 7.2 attempts per game. This season was a career high up from last season. And for the future of the team, you, got, you know, I know they would love to see De'Aaron get that percentage near 80. Th- uh, Three-point percentage improved from last season. It's still only 32.2%, but it was up from his career low of 29.2 last season. Field goal percentage, a tick under his career high from last season. He was at 48% last season. This season, 47.7. Even with his shot attempts going up by about three per game. In the minutes this year, 35.1, another career high. I believe you can do, you can tie a lot of De'Aaron's improvement to his hard work, but also to the coaching staff, which has empowered him to be aggressive, encouraged him to be more aggressive. So... If you're talking about successes for Luke Walton this season, that's got to be one of the successes. Just that we saw that player who could be the first all-star the Kings have had since DeMarcus Cousins in 2017. And of course, we all know they traded him during the all-star game. (laughs) Yeah, so that's to me got to be considered success number one, that you have not seen regression from De'Aaron Fox. And... If you had seen regression, that would be concerning in terms of the coaching and what's going on. But again, we didn't see any regression. I think we saw progression. Is there more work to do? Definitely. But I definitely also believe that what the coaching staff has tapped into with De'Aaron 
I think they can build on that going in the next season. Next up, Tyrese Halliburton. Now, when a guy falls to 12 in the draft, I don't think anyone had amazing expectations. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. I admittedly am not a college basketball junkie. And last season was just a tough time for me to really get into it just because, you know, the pandemic. Tyrese Halliburton actually got hurt last season. You know, I'd heard about him, but I didn't know a whole lot about him. I knew that in terms of draft range, you heard him going as high as two to the Warriors or going to the end of the lottery, which is where the Kings got him near the back end of the lottery. So you didn't really know where he would go, but I will say that Tyrese has been everything you could have hoped for if you're the Kings, and then some. 13 points a game, 5.3 assists, 3 rebounds, showed great leadership intangibles, no, uh, not afraid of the moment, clutch player, coming through late in games, all those things I think he showed uh, during the season, showed some good instincts defensively, and I think the the second success you can highlight from uh Walton's tenure of this Walton's uh, second season with the Kings is that they really gave Tyrese essentially a platform to improve and grow and they I believe they brought the best out of him over the course of the season and you can see to see the growth you can see you see the improvement and before he was injured uh May 2nd in Dallas you were really seeing to me the makings of a really good lead guard and leader and you could go into next season, I think, you know, assuming that Tyrese is able to get into the gym and, you know, you know, work on his body, get himself stronger. I have no reason to believe he won't do that once he's, you know, clear for basketball activity. I think you legitimately consider starting him and De'Aaron together next season. Whether that means Buddy Hill is or is not on the roster, who knows? But... I think that, you know, you have to really look at that going forward. You know, just, you know, do you do you start him or not? Or do you take the James Harden approach with him and maybe keep him on the bench another year? So, I definitely count Tyrese's development and what they've done with him as a win for the franchise. I mean, they empowered him day one. Tyrese was playing the fourth quarter from the start. And for the coaching staff to notice that, and then go, run with it, to me, is a positive. Next up, what do we got here next up? Uh, the, probably, to me, over the course of the two years, one of the better developments from this coaching staff has been Rashawn Holmes. Uh, starting center, soon-to-be free agent, uh, have a chance to, you know, up his pay, as they say. <laughs> and he had a, you know, a solid year for the Kings, of course. Uh, you know, and for Rashawn, this really began last season when he showed up on the team, really. And the expectation, honestly, was was that maybe he'd compete with Harry Giles for backup minutes. Essentially, you know, essentially, you know, there he'd be a ninth, tenth man, energy guy off the bench, and he could, you know, fight for minutes behind Mark Dwayne Dedman and Marvin Bagley. 
Well, early on, the coaching staff identified that the Dwayne Dedman experiment was not going to work in Sacramento and quickly inserted Rashawn Holmes into the starting lineup. We five games in. And what did you get? You got a guy who fits what you want to do. You know, on both ends, you know, offensively, defensively, and a guy who's produced back-to-back career seasons. Uh, 14.2 points, 8.3 rebounds, 1.6 blocks. All career highs from Holmes this season. You know, you know, highly efficient score from the field. 63.7% this year. Top, you know, near the top of the league, he was at sixty-four point eight percent in previous season, and he said he's a he's proven to be a good fit with uh, with his teammates. Teammates like him, coaches love him. If you're going to give him, if you're going to knock him for anything, it's that you know the three point five fouls per game, and you know it was actually was down from the previous season. He was at three point eight. You know, in 2019-2020. So, I think the development and the kind of the cultivation, it's probably the wrong word, but just kind of, yeah, just the um, development and, number one, noticing that Rashawn was a better fit from the start and then, two, going with that. And then watching Rashawn continue to improve would be another, you can say, positive for Luke Walton and his staff. Harrison Barnes, you would I think you could throw him in there. Harrison had was having you know, before his injury was having overall possibly the best season of his career, and had become you know uh, a leader on the team. He had really established himself as the the team's uh, best all around defender, and was a, a key part. You know of what the Kings were doing. His 16.1 points were the most he'd averaged since he was back in Dallas. Uh, field goal percentage, a career high field goal percentage from Harrison Barnes, uh, 49.7 percent. I shot 39 percent from three, which wasn't a career high, but it was awfully close. You know, his uh, career high would was back when he was his Golden State days. At 40.5%, but he also only shot 2.6 uh, threes per game back then. He's up to 4.4 threes uh, last season, this, or this 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 season with the Kings, which still might even been low for him. I think the Kings wouldn't have mind wouldn't have been pro- had a problem with him shooting more. So I think the play of Harrison overall, top to bottom, you would say is a Another win for the Kings. And I'll even throw in Buddy Heald by the end of the season, who was doing some things we hadn't seen Buddy do, like make plays off the dribble and look to be more of a a well-rounded player. Uh, we got Buddy for media last game, after after a Sunday night's game, and he really wasn't very talkative. It was almost like he had an attitude with the media where they normally and he's normally really chatty. But his last couple of appearances, he just kind of been short with answers, not really joking with us like he normally is. I don't know who you know who pissed him off. It ain't like you know, well, I'll say it wasn't me. <laughs> but I do. Like I even asked Buddy after the game, you know, what areas did I think did he think he improved? It was kind of like a blah answer, like yeah, I just gonna keep getting better. It's like okay, I guess he didn't want to talk to us. It is what it is. But 
you know, Buddy had his issues with the coaching, you know, with Luke and the staff before the season. And, you know, by by January, he was praising Luke and the staff for, the, for you know, kind of growing with them and getting better. So the fact that, that that situation, that relationship didn't lead to drama and BS, I think we probably could classify that as well as a win for Luke's staff. So I've said all the things that I think you can like about the, you know, what's going on. Now let's jump to what you don't like. And I think it's pretty clear what we're but you're not gonna like, and it's the defense. Uh the defense regressed, you know, in uh this season, it which was a, a stark turn and there's reasons for that, but uh in the in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty the Kings actually finished in the top twenty, you know, uh, in terms of in terms of their defense defensive rating, so you know, uh, I might be off with the exact stat, but they weren't in the bottom third of defense for the first time in many, 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 many years. Probably any year during this run of missing the playoffs for 15 straight years, and this year they reverted all the way back. It was like they gave you a glimpse of what it's like to be a you know okay defensive team, and it went to shit real quick this year. Uh, this season, the Kings finished. Uh, Dead last in defensive rating at 116.5. Yeah, slightly just behind the Portland Trailblazers, who were also terrible on defense this season. But the defense, the Blazers also had Dame Lillard to get them through those terrible defensive nights, and the Kings didn't have a Dame Lillard to do that for them, which is why a, 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 a reason why Portland still made the playoffs with atrocious defense. This this terrible defense almost all year even after they made their trades portland's defense still was not good but hey you know the kings also in terms of opponents points in the paint another bugaboo all season only the indiana pacers were worse than them in terms of uh points in the paint allowed the kings gave up 53.4 points per game in the paint the pacers were at 53.8 another problem the Kings had all year you know giving up straight line drive to the basket putting their big men in a tough position because you got someone coming downhill right at you yeah so that's a that's definitely you know a probably a no that's a that's a negative that's been a big issue the Kings have tried to figure out how to play defense for more than a decade and there's a lot of factors that played into this. Uh, some of it is tied to coaching. Uh, Kings brought in Rex Kalamian to basically be the defensive coordinator on the staff. And I'm not saying this to say this is Rex's fault, but guys were learning, you know, to say that this isn't like football where you, you know, where like John Gruden can blame Paul Gunther for everything on defense and fire him. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. You brought in a new, um, somebody new, and the guys genuinely seemed to like him, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. <laughs> and I, I, remember I even asked a scout one time, he said, there's trying to, there, when you watch the Kings, you can tell what they're trying to do. The guys just can't do it. So you almost had, you had to strip down to basically bare basics. And at one point, I believe Walton said it went down to the basics. Just, just try hard and do your best and give full effort at the basics because 
adding more just wasn't working. And and one thing Luke mentioned after Sunday's game was, or prior to the game, was about this was a team that needed reps in practice on these things. And in this season, there just wasn't a lot of practice time. He said a guy like Harrison can play coverage, he could switch, but he's been around longer. You know, some of the younger guys couldn't do that. He also, frankly, had guys that just aren't good on defense. And that showed. And what you got, what you've also got is uh, coming out the offseason, the roster really wasn't upgraded at all to you know, prepare for this. I think Hassan Whiteside was able to give them some good minutes, but what the Kings also needed was more length and athleticism on the wing, and they didn't get that until the trade deadline. I mean, their um, their wing help, so to speak, was Glenn Robinson the third, who was waived before his contract got guaranteed. So you really didn't, you know, you really didn't get any help, and that's a that was a to me a major reason why the defense was bad. And until you, you know, until they begin to get some other guys in there. You know, by then I think it was too late to salvage the season. But the defense this season, to me, is the obvious in terms of if you're gonna if you're gonna knock the coaching staff for anything, you knock them for the defense because it just was not good all year. You had some good, you know, you know, you had you were asking Harrison Barnes to pretty much guard whoever needed to be guarded, <laughs> and all that all that fun stuff, but. I think if you're going to knock Luke for anything, you definitely knock him for defense. I think offensively they were fine most of the year. Uh, definitely they were hurt when they, uh, toward the end of the year, you started losing guys. But, you know, field goal percentage, they were six in field goal percentage in the NBA, 48.1%. Um, in terms of the three-point shot, which the Kings took an awful lot of, they ended up 16th, 36.4%. Kind of you know middle of the pack three point shooting team, but you no, know, I think overall you know you look at their free throw shooting. They ended up actually a lot for a team that had so many gripes with the refs. They ended up eleventh in attempts <laughs> at twenty two point at twenty two a game. Their issue wasn't that. Their issue was they didn't make enough of their free throws really because I think they got to the line plenty. They were just 25th and made free throws at 74.5%. So I think there was a lot. There's a lot of things, you know, offensively that probably can get better. But this this offseason has to be about defense, about finding guys who can defend, who can be a factor on that end, and make a difference. Because if not, it's going to be the SOS next season, and the Kings will own the record at that point for. Most consecutive seasons out of the playoffs, and that's not a record I don't think the Kings would like to have. Mm. So, you break it down in terms of player development. I think player relationship and development that was the strength of I think this coaching staff. The area that has to obviously get better is the defense and the wins and. Yeah, that thing. I think I I actually think them finishing with thirty one wins was not a bad season for them. But then again, I also come from the point of view that I didn't think this team was overly talented to start the year, 
I looked around the West and saw teams with one, two, even three former All-Stars. I saw zero on the Kings. So I came from a different point of view. And we'll see what happens going forward. We'll see what the team decides to do with their guys, this team, and going forward. So like I said, exit interviews are this week. And we'll be hearing from multiple players throughout the week. But before I go, got to get a little hip hop in there for you. I talked about the, I talked about Luke and the staff and the Kings way longer than I planned. But um, the other news from Sunday: three people with basketball, you know, uh, Sacramento Kings. Actually, technically four, because uh, Bill Russell uh, is going in as a coach, and he was a coach of the Sacramento Kings uh, back in the day. But all these guys are going into, uh, not sure the guys, ladies and gentlemen are going to the Hall of Fame. Rick Adelman, one of the best coaches in NBA history who would probably have at least one ring, if not for some guy named Phil Jackson. Uh, you got Chris Webber going in, you know, one of the best power forwards ever. And as I've told him back when he was in college, him and the Fab Five helped get us youngsters out of them tight little shorts for P.E. So shout out to Chris uh, and Yolanda Griffith, uh, 2005 WNBA Finals MVP with the Sacramento Monarchs. Uh, the only uh, basketball championship ever brought to Sacramento. So shout out to them going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, and it encompasses their entire careers and and they all kind of encompass the best era of Sacramento basketball. Rick Adelman's the only coach to ever have winning seasons as a head coach in Sacramento, which is what that's insane. 36 seasons, only one coach has had a winning record. <laughs> Every other year it's been a losing record. That's crazy. They said Webb really one of the best to ever do it. A lot of ways was ahead of his time as a big man. And yo, one of the best players to ever do it as well. So in honor of them for this week's hip-hop portion, I went and checked out, kind of got a refresher on who from the hip-hop category is going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And two of my favorites are Jay-Z and LL Cool J. So I'm going to give you, uh, because there's, I'm not going. I'm not going to lump in Bill Russell be, uh, with this one, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the three from I call it the heyday of Sacramento basketball. I'm going to give you three of my favorite songs from Jay Z, three of my favorite songs from LL Cool J to signify the three of them going into the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to start with Jay. And number one, my first one is Meet the Parents. Uh, that song to me, I just love that song. The storytelling, it wasn't a single, it was on the blueprint too, but you know, you, you listen to that song. I mean, just the detail of the storytelling is amazing. I love that song. So that's probably, that might be my favorite Jay-Z song of all time. And that's saying a lot because Jay-Z has a lot of songs. <laughs> but yeah, I go. I'll, I'll go with that one, and then my second one would be four four four. I call that you know, like I said, I'm a big fan of the introspective, me acknowledging my fuck ups type music, and that's what I think he does on that song. And I say that that song right there 
is the song that he apologized to all for uh, for all the cheating every man could have ever done. <laughs> so I say, hey fellas, your girl is mad. You play four 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 four. Tell her Jay apologized for all of us. So you go ahead and ride with that. And if she gets mad at you, don't tell her I said that. And one final song. Uh, I think this might be Jay-Z's most underrated album, the American Gangster soundtrack. And that that one has a song on there, American Dreamin'. That's, you know, you know, he had the line on there in in times of drought, I wish you well. You know, you know, just I that line hit me when I first heard it years ago and I still love that album. So those are three songs that are three of my favorite Jay Z songs that aren't your normal Jay Z. You know, everyone's talking about Jay Z. So now on to LL, and I'm glad to see LL get the props. I think he's always deserved. He might have, you know, a lot of folks now, you youngsters, might think he's just an actor, but LL was nice with it on the mic, and. I'm going to give you some of my favorite LL songs now before we get up out of here. And my first one I'm going to give you is I'm That Type of Guy. That was from uh, Walking with a Panther. And I call it, you know, the ultimate creep song. And I ain't going to tell you why I was digging that song so much. But yeah, I like that song. And (laughs) so you get a chance check that one out. That song actually was a single. You know, and then I think um, LL, I don't think LL gets enough credit for what he is as a as a rapper. I think people just kind of you know try to throw him in that he makes love songs category. But when you listen to that, I shot you. You know, that's another one I would tell you to play. That's you know, more specifically the remix. To me, that one right there. That's a one of my favorite ones, one of my favorite songs from LL, and also that four three two one, the other remix, because on no to me on both of those songs you got other MCs who you know maybe a casual fan would be like oh man they got more skill than LL in terms of just like flow rapping, and LL kills it on both of those. So check those out. Jay and LL both going into the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, much deserved. Yo, Webb, and Rick Adelman going into the Hall of Fame. Much deserved. You can check me out on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Jason Jones. Instagram, Mr. Jones LBC. Holla at me. Have fun with this stuff. Season's over, y'all. Y'all can take a break. I'm going to try to take one, too. I need to get to some Dodger games. And they need to start winning some damn games, actually, too. I They've... The injuries keep piling up, but damn it, I need them to start rolling. So we'll see what happens. Y'all be safe out there. I am up out of here. I'm gone.